today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. This is the Mayor's Town Hall from 9 until 10 o'clock today. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is going to be with us in uh, just a second. Uh, and uh, we got a lot to talk about here. Council is going to have another meeting tomorrow with a lot of hot issues on the agenda. And we will give you an opportunity uh, for your phone calls, your comments, and your questions for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. I'm going to give you the number right now. You can jump into the queue and... Uh, as we do with all the town halls, I want to just, again, remind you, don't wait till the last five or ten minutes of the hour because we can't fit everybody in then. So uh, you can jump in right now, and we'll get to you just as soon as we can. 905-645-3221, 645-3221, star 9900 is a toll-free number. You can reach us on email, bkelly at 900chml.com, and on Twitter at chmlbillkelly. We'll get to your calls, your emails, and your tweets in just a couple of minutes. Uh, in the meantime, we welcome Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger back to the program. Mr. Mayor, how are you doing today? I am uh, excellent today, Bill. Thank you. I'm looking forward to getting some rain and all of that dry grass out there that uh, everyone's, uh, you know, I'm sure longing for a little bit of rain, but not a not a tsunami. So hopefully uh, we'll get some greenery uh, back in our lawns and in our plants and flowers. Well, my weather app here says it's going to start in about 15 minutes, so uh, let's just oh, yeah. see how accurate that is. Uh, and we'll we'll check that. Well, you're in the East End, and I'm, are, you, are you at work today? Or back in? Uh, I'm I'm in the office. Yeah. Okay. For sure. All right. Well, we'll watch what's going on. Sooner rather than later. Yeah. Listen, I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about, and I'm sure some of the callers yep. are going to bring up a few of these points and give us their perspective on this too. But let's uh, let's delve into a few of them, and and one of them, of course, uh, has become a very contentious issue at City Hall, and that, of course, is the uh, the uh, the homeless uh, situation that's here, which has been exacerbated, of course, because of COVID nineteen. Uh, and uh, what some people are calling tent cities that are being set up in different districts here. Uh, there's some, some rather interesting perspectives from some of your council colleagues on that. Uh, some suggested it's time to move them all out and don't allow this. Others are saying, look, you've got to show some compassion here. Those seem to be the two ends of that argument. Where are you on this, Mr. Mayor? Well, uh, you know, we need, uh, we need as much as we can to get people into a stable, stable housing environments. I think that's always the goal, and that's the mission. But... You know, there are some people that uh, that will not go. Uh, it's their their decision. They decide that uh, they want to find a, another way of living that uh, doesn't include either a shelter or you know some stable form of housing. Uh, I think those folks, uh, you know, in due time will will come around to you know wanting housing, but they're you know it's a difficult challenge. So let me say that uh, I know that the Cathedral Boys. Uh, Cathedral Boys uh, High School, former high school, has been turned being turned into a shelter. So we're expanding the shelter capacity in the city to uh, to provide uh, more stable, uh, you know, housing environments for uh, folks that are uh, living on the street. Uh, look, living on the streets is not uh, you know a, 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 a good thing for people to do. Uh, you know, there are mental health issues, there are drug drug addiction issues, uh, there are sanitation issues. I mean, there's all kinds of challenges that come. Out of those issues, uh, out of that uh, kind of lifestyle, and uh, I don't think that we want to have you know little, little camps all over the place uh, of little, little you know tent tent cities that uh, you know tend to be very unsanitary and very uh, very unhealthy ways of living. So I uh, I am uh, you know we've had we've had some tolerance around this uh, you know for many many years. Uh, you know we don't indiscriminately go and wipe uh, wipe out tent cities. There's some some leeway given. But at, at a given point in time, we want to get those folks into some stable form of housing, uh, in, in you know, with, with, a, with a, an accommodation that has a roof over their head and some some services that are available to them for access to uh, whether it's mental health issues or addiction issues or just lifestyle issues that uh, they need to help with. So I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not on the side of uh, you know 
being you know raining down on them all the time. But but I'm also not on the side of uh, of encouraging these encampments to continue on and formalizing them because I think it's the wrong way to go. So I'll uh, I, I guess I'm trying to dance through the middle here, but I think that's always been the challenge. And you know, forever and always, uh, there have been people that simply refuse to get into you know stable housing environments uh, for whatever reason, uh, and we can't make them go. It's not like we can arrest these people or pick them up and drop them into a shelter somewhere and say you must stay here. They they have a choice to make. And uh, they're making them, and uh, I, I don't want them to become, you know, uh, you know slums of uh, tent cities that uh, then cause, you know, potentially all kinds of different problems, including, you know, the potential spread of this uh, this virus, which, uh, you know, is, is highly contagious in more congregate settings. And so these congregate settings tend to be, you know, tent cities that, uh, that then become, uh, you know, p- potentials for the spread of uh, disease and, and potentially the, the coronavirus as well. So difficult issue. There's no simple answer to it. Uh, you know, two sides of the camp are, have always been there. I think there's an opportunity for us to continue to provide more uh, shelter space. Uh, and that's certainly happening as a result of the, uh, the coronavirus. Actually, it, it highlighted, you know, a pretty significant issue. It stands out like a sore thumb right now. And uh, and we're we're expanding the ability to provide services to these folks uh, in, to the, the best degree possible, and you know, that may come with potential additional funding from the province to help us uh, along. But we put in an awful lot of resources into the homelessness issue through this pandemic. The and in a perfect world, I don't disagree with you. And in a perfect world, that's exactly the way things should be. But what I'm hearing from a number of people that are advocating, and we're going to talk about this later on the show, by the way, to get into more depth, I just want to get your read on this, is mm-hmm. that uh, that you don't have the resources right now. In other words, that you don't have enough beds, you don't have enough space. You mentioned that, you know, the old Cathedral Boys High School on, on Main Street is is being refitted yep. for something like this, and that's great. I know you've used First Ontario Centre at some point right. for this as well, but you can't do this for everybody in situations, and you certainly don't have the the, the, the services that you've talked about for those that are dealing with addictions and, and, and other problems and situations like that uh it, this was a problem before COVID even came along and it just just this is just magnified so much now because of the number of people that are being adversely affected by this uh yep. you don't have the money to do this and you don't have the resources how, what, how do you do this do you go back to the province and say you got to help us here yeah I, I think so i mean i think the uh, the reality is that uh you know that so, social service load and that healthcare load uh, you know is pre- predominantly a uh, you know provincial responsibility and uh, to be able to provide all of those services to these individuals, uh, you know, requires the, the, the additional resources. So we're, you know, City of Hamilton has stepped up in very, very large ways of, of picking up the slack where the province has either, to, you know, removed themselves or, or, you know, reduced the funding. Uh, the City of Hamilton has actually picked up the slack on a compassionate basis because we understand that these resources need to be there for, for us to be able to provide some some level of service. Uh, right now, the, through this pandemic and social distancing issues, it's become amplified because even if you uh, you house them, you have to house them, you know, physically separated. Uh, you know, all of those parameters come into play, and so the the space requirement just ex- ex- you know expands as as a result. And so that means that we need additional funding to be able to uh, to to expand facilities like the Cathedral Boys, uh, you know, facility or others that I think are going to be needed in the future to be able to house these people. So, uh, yes, it, uh, it has, to, has to include additional funding from, uh, from our provincial partners to be able to do this. Uh, we keep doing what, we're, what we need to do to provide, uh, you know, some measure of uh, cleanliness and security. We, 
you know, provided uh, resources at the corner of Bay and, and uh, York. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, when uh, a lot of these folks were kind of congregating in, the, in that space outside of the first Ontario Centre, so they weren't necessarily staying inside in the shelter, but they were outside, and we provided services for them that they could uh, have bathrooms available when all the other resources were closed, and have some uh, some hand washing facilities available. Uh, that was a step in the right direction, I think, in terms of providing short term services. But there's a, this is a long term issue, and it needs a sustainable funding contributions from all levels of government to be able to deal with this. So this is not just a Hamilton issue. This is a national issue. Housing is a national issue. We keep asking our federal partners for a, a well-defined and funded national housing strategy for you know folks that are not able to find uh, you know standard uh, you know above standard housing. Uh, all of those are complex problems that uh, you know really require all three levels of government working together, and it's it's improving, but it's certainly not where it needs to be. All right, and as I say, we're going to delve into that in greater detail a little bit later on in the program. But uh, thanks for your perspective on this. We'll see what your council colleagues talk about uh, tomorrow. Nine zero five six four five three two two one. That's our phone number. This is the Bill Kelly Show on CHML. It's the Mayor's Town Hall with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Your calls, your thoughts, your questions for the Mayor of the City of Hamilton. Uh, let's go to the phones uh, right now and try to squeeze one in before we have to take a break in a few minutes here. Uh, Jim, you're first up on the program. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm fine, and how are you? Uh, top of the world. Uh, your question, your comment for the mayor, please. I have a question for Mayor Fred. Yep. I am a restaurant owner on the Hamilton Mountain, and I built a 20 by 40 patio and will compliment the city of Hamilton and how quick their services were. Julia Davis in that department had my uh, liquor license and everything in play within 36 hours, and I want to thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Although... It was a good idea to put uh, a temporary tent over my patio so that I could continue to have commerce during the bad weather, also during the 100-degree weather. And I've just been issued an order to comply to pay the city of Hamilton over $500 in a building permit for a temporary structure that will be here for two months. I think that's a money grab. I think that's totally unnecessary, although... It works. It's fantastic. I can put up 10-foot by 10-foot tents, but I can't put up a 20 by 40 tent without a permit. What's your thought? Okay, Jim. So thanks. Um, um, I think we I think we've uh, interacted by email, and, and uh, I, I think I know the location we're talking about. So uh, I know Ken Leendurst has been uh, in in communications on this uh, this issue, and uh, you know at the bylaw, you know. We, we, we've bent over backwards to try and provide latitude for folks to, uh, to be able to provide, uh, you know, restaurant space uh, in, through, during this pandemic, uh, especially, you know, through the, through the phase two opening. And uh, hopefully, you know, when we get into phase three, that will allow, uh, you know, that, that added space to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, still functional so that, uh, you know, you can have some semblance of uh, capacity when you, uh, when you do open up in phase three indoors and outdoors. So, I'm, I, 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 you know, the bylaw draws a line somewhere. Uh, you know, size of tent clearly is, uh, is one of those. And uh, I, I think, um, you know, one should, should know the bylaw and understand the bylaw before one jumps into, you know, putting, putting facilities in place. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask, uh, you know, our, our bylaw folks to, uh, to get back to you and, 
uh, see if we can find a way of working through these issues to, uh, on a temporary basis so that uh, you can continue to operate and uh, and then hopefully look to the longer term to uh, to get you back open indoors uh, you know, through the summer season with some patio space as well. And hopefully that'll be a kickstart to, uh, you know, opening up your business uh, a little bit more fully. So, Jim, if you want to leave your, uh, you want to call the office at 905-546-4200. Again, I'll be happy to follow up. I think we already have, but I'd be happy to do it again and uh, see if we can find an accommodation. You there, Jim? Yep, I'm here. Let let me ask you something, and and thanks for the answer, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Obviously, because you can't bring people inside that you're building, the the works and mortar, and I've known another group of restaurateurs that are doing the same thing. They've not just built outdoor patios, they've extended them now because you can get more people in, and that's really the name of the game here. Uh, If we move into Phase 3 in the next week or so, and and all of a sudden you're allowed to use the indoors as well, uh, will you still want to have a larger outdoor patio, or would you just comply with what uh, the mayor just described as a smaller tent uh, for your for your patio? Well, as, as you know, this this COVID situation is changing daily and hourly. So we don't know that phase three is going to work. If it does work, I can put people inside my restaurant, but they have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. And most people, how, how do you eat a dinner? Wearing a mask. Well, you don't. Well, that's that, not, that's that not sounds stupid. Right? So, if you just to be clear, mask, so the restaurants restaurants are are you're going to be required to wear a mask when you're going inside. After that, when you're having your meal, you can take your mask off, have your meal, do everything that you need to do, and then when you're leaving the building, uh, you know, put the mask back on so that uh, any interaction between individuals as you're moving around uh, can be you know, the risk can be minimized. So people are going to have a meal in your inside your restaurant. They're going to kind of enter with a mask and then take the mask off while they're having dinner clearly. And, and that and that's fine. People still enjoy the, the patio setting because of the open air aspect. Sure. Of it. It's summertime, right? Absolutely. And as long as seasonality allows, I'm I'm going to continue to have a patio and continue to have a roof over top of it because when it rains you know, if you're sitting there with your lovely wife having a dinner and starts to downpour, you can't go inside. Your yep. meal is now destroyed. Your evening is now over. But if you're sitting under a tented enclosure that is open air, no walls, just a roof, you can continue your evening. Uh, we got Listen, guys, we got to take sense. a break here. Jim, we got to take a break. Uh, I, I know you're going to follow up with the mayor's office, as uh, he's just uh, explained to you. Uh, drop me a line when you're finished with that, would you please, and let me know how this works out? Yes, I will. Okay, thanks for the call, Jim. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Quick email, uh, Mr. Mayor, before we get back to some of the calls uh, from uh, Michelle. says, I am unclear about this new bylaw that's coming into effect. Are small offices required to have their employees wear a mask? Is the employer responsible for making employees wear one? And what about visitors coming into the office? If somebody doesn't wear one, is the business responsible? Do we refuse people coming into the office if they don't wear one? Uh, There's a number of questions here, but maybe you could just outline exactly what the city is looking for, because this is going to, I guess, get ratified tomorrow by council. At least it seems to be anyway. So, so clearly, all public spaces. So, if if an office has a reception area, the the uh, the that reception area is required to uh, to have masks. So, new people coming in, uh, people on the reception desk, in the back office, uh, that it is a not a requirement. Uh, when you know we 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 have people working in the office that are physically separated, which is uh, still uh, still an issue, but uh, they they are you know congregating in you know numbers uh, you know larger than ten, which ultimately would be fifty. Uh, that's okay. The same, the same applies here at City Hall. So all the public spaces, 
that uh, are in retail, uh, you know, locations. Uh, you know, obviously the malls, the uh, uh, the front end of the uh, of an office location. So if you have a, an insurance office, for instance, and you have a reception area, and you have guests coming in. Those, those individuals are required to, to have masks. Uh, all the people working in the back office are not required to have a mask. Uh, they can still wear a mask. I mean, uh, it's still recommended that uh, it, it's, uh, it's necessary, but uh, this bylaw aligns to all the public spaces. And public doesn't mean just city spaces. It means where the general public can get access and reception. Uh, so all of those locations I mentioned, including, uh, you know, the, the front end of restaurants and uh, get back to Jim's issue, uh, you know, obviously people uh, that are going to a restaurant need to be able to eat. So uh, they, they need to be able to take their masks off when they're inside. But as they're coming in, they're required to wear a mask. So all public spaces, including reception areas, are areas to be masked. Everything beyond that that is not accessible by the public, uh, you're not required to have a mask. All right, and uh, hopefully we'll get some clarification. I'm sure that's going to be debated again tomorrow at Council. Uh, back to your phone calls, 905-645-3221, start 9900. The Mayor's Town Hall with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, Michelle, you're next up on this. Thanks for holding on, Michelle. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing okay. I have a question for the Mayor. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Michelle, good morning. Have you heard of uh, a better tent city? So up in Kitchener, they have created this. Um, they have built little houses. The houses are approximately 80 square feet and is now housing about 40 homeless people. The site mm-hmm. is peer run. They revamped the tractor trailer, so there's laundry facilities plus two showers. And right. it was built all with no public money whatsoever. So to me, this sounds like a, a very viable solution instead of trying to uh, capacity in the shelters where you're not housed. What do you think of that? Uh, those are, uh, you know, thanks for that, Michelle. I mean, those are all options that are uh, being looked at. I'm, I'm surprised to hear that there's no public money. That uh, That's intriguing. Uh, I'll certainly look into, uh, you know, that location. I know Edmonton has uh, done a similar type of mini housing, uh, you know, approach. And uh, those are certainly issues that we're now looking at in terms of uh, can we can we do this? Should we do this? And if we do, how do we do this? Uh, I would say that uh, you know there's only one way to make this happen, and that's through public funds. I, you know, unless there's some generous benefactors out there that would like to help us uh, create uh, you know stable mini housing platforms, I'd be happy to talk to them about that. And I'll certainly look at what uh, what Kitchen is doing. We have to find a different way. That's for sure. Uh, so uh, right now, at, uh, you know, shelters are not the ultimate answer. Although they're, a, you know, they're a temporary fix. In my view, uh, some time, some type of permanent housing, should people be willing to go, uh, is going to be important. But it still doesn't address the issue of folks that uh, are determined to live on the street. Uh, it doesn't matter what we do. Uh, so we can't force these people into any kind of housing if they don't want to go. So, uh, you know, these are all options, Michelle, that we're looking at. Uh, uh, you know, some some changes have to happen and occur, and, and uh, certainly that's been highlighted now relative to the pandemic, and I think this issue was there beforehand. It'll be there after this pandemic is over, uh, but we need to find better ways of uh, accommodating people that want to be accommodated. So I'm, uh, I'm open to uh, looking at any, any project anywhere that, uh, that does that uh, effectively, uh, for the people that are involved. And you know what? Uh, there's, a, there's a compassionate need here that we need to continue to address. And uh, uh, with help from our other levels of government, we can do that. 
Thanks so much for the call, Michelle. Appreciate it. And uh, just to remind our listeners that uh, we're going to get into this in a little more depth in the next hour of the program, too, with some folks that are advocating for a city commitment to that. But we'll hold off for another 25 or 30 minutes on that. I want to get some of these calls uh, that have been holding on for quite some time. Uh, John, you're on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. How are you doing this morning, John? Good. Yourself? Good. Go ahead for the mayor. Uh, mayor, uh, you're aware of uh, Division Zero and traffic, eh? report was put out last week, the Public Works, July 8th, went through detail on calming up streets. And not one right. thing in there was about urban roads, country roads. Uh, there's been a serious accident last month at airport in Nemo. Mm-hmm. And we've been trying to get stop, flash and stop lights there or rumbers mm-hmm. Strips, and there's nothing about urban roads, and we got lots since amalgamation. It took right. us over five years, and I'm surprised in Ward Four to get a left-hand turning signal, which been on the books for the most collisions in five years. Turning signals, and not right. only that, fifty percent of fatalities are on urban roads. How we, can we stop the red tape and get things done? Well, I mean, uh, you know, thanks, John, for that question. And, uh, you know, there are always, uh, there's a public component of these things. And, uh, you know, there's always the, uh, the, the yin and yang of this, where, you know, some people are in favor and some are opposed to, uh, you know, putting in rumble strips or stop signs or, you know, some, some of the traffic calming measures that we've been uh, we've been implementing. And so, uh, you know, we're, I think things have improved significantly, certainly in the inner city. Um, in, in the rural area, it's uh, obviously much more difficult and, uh, and more, more, uh, more input, I think, needs to be had in terms of how we do that. And where the rural area begins and ends uh, is another issue. So now that density is starting to creep into the more rural areas and certainly uh, – you know, heading down uh, down Nebo Road, uh, you know, things are starting to uh, get more densified, more subdivisions coming in, more housing being built. Uh, as that happens, there's a there's a higher need for you know additional traffic calming. So, I would say uh, not not being aware of the collision record of that specific location, uh, clearly uh, uh, I'll note that and get that to our traffic department, get an understanding of what's going on there. Uh, but I, I, you know, there, we're always interested in uh, in, in solve, resolving the problems that exist to wherever they exist. So we have high high collision areas. We put up uh, you know in, intermittent signs or some kind of full full stop signs. Uh, we also put up signage that uh, reminds people that this is a high collision area. And so all of those are options that are possible. Uh, I don't know what's being considered for this location, but I'll certainly look into it and happy to follow up with you, John. Thanks so much for the call, John. Appreciate it. 905-645-3221, start 9900. The Bill Kelly Show with uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Rebecca, you're next on the program. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, Rebecca. Go ahead for the mayor. Hi, Mr. Mayor. I'd like to talk about the face mask. About Um, the which, sorry? The face mask? Yes. Yep. I have uh, six points I'd like to make. Um, okay. It decreases your oxygen. Breathing through a mask decreases the amount of oxygen we need to live and breathe and be healthy. It increases blood acidity and makes breathing more difficult. Number two, 
it increases toxic inhalation. Toxins that we normally exhale will, will as we breathe, become trapped in the mask and then re-inhaled into our lungs, increasing symptoms. It shuts down the immune system, makes it weaker. Because you're breathing in carbon dioxide, reducing your oxygen, increasing your toxic intake, putting your body under stress. Michelle, I, I, I gotta, listen, i got to jump in here because we're a little limited for time. I think we get the essence of, of what you're saying. I'll let the mayor comment on that. Go ahead, Mr. Mayor. Rebecca, we've had a flurry of, uh, of emails from uh, folks. They're, they tend to be similar kinds of emails to yours. They're, they're six points being made. Uh, some of them are you know, alluding to some of the issues you're raising. And uh, clearly, if people have uh, health issues that prevents them from wearing a mask, they're not required to wear a mask. Uh, you know, the reality is that uh, if, if the mask were a hazard, uh, as, as you describe it, in terms of the health and wellness of, uh, of individuals, then, uh, you know, it's clearly no one should be wearing one. But that, that hasn't been borne out. Uh, what, what, what's happening now is an effort to try and stop the spread of this virus. Uh, the best way, in and amongst other things, physical separation, physical distancing, uh, coughing at your elbow, washing your hands frequently, and wearing this mask is, a, is an attempt to minimize the risk of spread of this virus so that we can uh, keep our facilities open and not hit, head into a second wave, you know, somewhere in the fall, as some are predicting we might head into. So to be able to, be able to head that off, masking uh, it should be, should be uh, face covering should be, uh, should be adhered to. Uh, it, you know what? The, the, the masking and face covering is not new. Uh, this has been going on for decades, certainly in the health health industry and in, in dental offices and physiotherapy clinics and in hospitals full bore uh, in countries like uh, Japan, Korea, uh, China, Hong Kong. Uh, you know, mask wearing is very common. It happens all the time. Uh, if there were an identified health issue as a result of just the mask, uh, we, we would know about it. And I'm sure our public health would be well aware of that and wouldn't be recommending anyone do anything that, that might be hazardous. So. I appreciate the fact that some people don't agree. Uh, lots of people didn't agree with uh, seatbelts in cars, and lots of people don't appreciate the, uh, you know, the security checks you now have to go through when you're trying to get on an airplane. I, I understand that. But they're done for good reason, and they're always done on balance to minimize the risk of something. And so, uh, you know, a seatbelt is to minimize the risk of you dying in a car if you have an accident. Uh, this mask is is, a, is an effort to minimize the risk of the stop of spread and potentially saving lives for those that are most um, uh, 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 in harm's way as a result of that, that uh, could end up being one of the casualties that we've had here in Hamilton, which, you know, 40-40 is not in, insignificant at all. We commiserate with all the family members that have lost loved ones. But if you look across the border, uh, where they don't do, do masking and where they've opened up their economies and let, let everything just run free. Uh, there are up to 170,000 people that have died and it's climbing, 140, I should say, and it's climbing every day and the cases are climbing through the roof and they're now overpowering their healthcare system whereby they're going to have to make choices between who gets a bed and who doesn't. Uh, basically a, a decision on who, who lives and who dies. Uh, we don't want to get into that scenario. So wearing a mask is, is, is one part of trying to minimize the risk to stop that from happening. Uh, you know, I, 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 I appreciate all the folks that have had opposition to this. Uh, 
in my view, the majority of the population is very much supportive of this this uh, this approach. And uh, if we all adhere to that, uh, we're going to be in very, very good shape as uh, as the fall comes around. And as we go into phase three, uh, that the, it's going to exude a lot more confidence for a lot of people to get out and about and enjoy their city uh, and the public spaces because they know that uh, other people are protecting them from themselves and, and you from them. So I'm uh, fully supportive of this. Uh, I believe that Council will uh, will uphold its 13 to 2 uh, vote on this thing uh, as well tomorrow. And uh, I would say... Folks, get your masks ready. Many are, many are already doing it, and uh, that's the right step. Many stores are already requiring that you have a mask on before you get into the store. Uh, and uh, I think those are all the right steps to take at this moment in time. Uh, we should also keep in mind that uh, this is not a political decision, and as much as it is a bylaw that's being enacted, it's being b- passed as it did in Toronto, as it did in Burlington, as it has in Brantford and many other cities. Uh, at the strong recommendation of our healthcare professionals, those who are responsible for public health, to stop the spread of, of this virus. So, and I understand there's always going to be people that are going to say, "Well, you know, I'm asthmatic, I can't do that." You get a pass on that. You, you can do that if it's going to cause serious problems to you. But that's a small percentage of the population. But uh, you know, let's face it. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever died from wearing a, a, a surgical face mask for 15 or 20 minutes while they're in an establishment, but uh, a lot of people have died from COVID-19, so let's yeah, put this exactly. in perspective. Uh, let's go back okay. uh, to the phone calls, 905-645-3221, star 900. Uh, Frank, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Hi, Frank. Good morning, gentlemen. I'm going to change the subject a bit, if you, if you don't mind. Good. It's to do with the, uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, you're well aware that there's a, a routine installation of fiber optics uh into each survey uh, throughout the municipality. Uh, we here in Ancaster have been waiting now in, in my survey. Well, it started over a year ago. And um, they haven't, they sort of get finished and then they don't get finished. And more specifically, along the side of my property, I have a long row of cedars that they lifted the roots for in order to take the fiber optics channel around. But they also interrupted my coaxial cable and pulled it out and I lost my cable for a long weekend. And I, I called, I tried to tie down who is organizing this and who can come and remedy the situation. Well over a month ago, it was about the third approach I made, which was one which was uh, referred to the city to me to call the, the city, uh, expressed my concerns and want to have this, this uh, cleaned up. Not to this day have I heard anything back. Can you elaborate who is in control, who I could talk to to expedite this thing to, to its finishing stages? It, it, it seems everybody else is done, but me. Okay. <laughs> I, in I, corridor. okay. Frank, I'll let you go and let the mayor answer that. Thank Mr. You. Mayor, we're, uh, we've got about a minute and a half to answer this. Okay. Well, let me let me just first ask Frank to give me a call at 905-546-4200. Call my office. Uh, we'll follow up. It's, uh, you know, Public Works and, and Bell. Uh, have worked out a protocol in terms of how this is to be done. They're obviously, uh, you know, required to uh, leave the properties in the state that they found it in the first place, so they're not to damage any other facilities. They're 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 required to replace the grass. They're required to uh, make sure that the curbing's, uh, you know, back in place, and any asphalt that they disrupted has to be uh, replaced and replaced. It's a great it's a great project. Uh, you know, fiber optic cable to uh, you know all of our homes in the city in the urban part of the city of Hamilton is going to be a benefit to uh, to everyone in the city in terms of speed of access for the internet and other things. Uh, but they need to do it right. So uh, public works, uh, uh, you know, folks can follow up. And uh, I'll be happy to do that for Frank. If you would give me a call, I'll be happy to follow up on that and uh, get the right people there to uh, remedy some of the things that haven't been addressed 
uh, as a result of the work that they've done to install this fiber optic cable. I know it's been difficult in Ancaster because it's, it, it was the beginning. Uh, this is going to happen throughout the city. The only one way to get the fiber optic in is to, to put it in the ground and hopefully use existing conduits, but sometimes they have to build new. And uh, But they're responsible, Bell is, responsible for putting the property back to the state they found it in when they started. So we'll we'll make sure that happens. Thanks so much for the call, and thanks to uh, everybody who did call in. My apologies to those that we didn't get to, uh, but uh, time is our enemy when we get into situations like this. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you for joining us on the program today. Uh, lots of stuff going on at the meeting tomorrow, uh, including, by the way, an announcement about uh, the entertainment district and uh, the mm-hmm. successful bidder into that, and I'm sure that that's going to probably engender another conversation between you and me in the, in the upcoming days. Uh, stay well, and we'll yeah. talk again soon. You too. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.